Hi everybody, welcome to the ninth episode of the Wimlex podcast. Today we're delighted that Daan Leuning has joined us for Meetable. And Meetable is a lab-based meat production company. They will go to market in a couple of years and they will try to disrupt the global meat industry. What is interesting as well is that Alexander's father-in-law has a cattle farm and I actually don't eat meat. So this will be a very interesting podcast. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, the CTO of the company. So I deal with everything technical and scientific. Uh, my background is in cell molecular biology and tissue engineering. I've been involved in this for quite a while. I've participated in the project for the first cultured meat hamburger that was made by Mark Post here in the Netherlands. And Moza Meats, right? Moza Meats, yeah, yeah. But at that time it was still at the university. Okay, yeah. So I was an academic at the time. Yeah. Um, and after that, I moved to New York uh, to join the company of New Harvest, which is a NGO, so a non-profit organization that funds academic research in this space, because there has been a lack of that over, all over the world. Uh, and there I got into contact with so many different people that are participating in the field, that had ideas about the field, and got really well connected, and also started to formulate a roadmap, uh, which is basically from A to Z, a plan how you should develop uh, cultured meat from, from the cell to the final product. And I got in contact with a, a professor from the University of Cambridge called Mark Cutter. And with him and his Brayfoot technology, we now develop the scientific roadmap. And together with uh, my co-founder, Klein de Note, uh, he did the, all the business part of it because, you know, as a scientist, it's sometimes hard to also do both sides. So I'm very glad that he's aboard too. Uh, developed the roadmap from both sides and now uh, is rolling it out and uh, starting this company and doing the science. Very impressive journey that you just <laughs> described. Thank you. Um, let's start with the why. Um, obviously, the, the global meat industry is a multi-billion, maybe even trillion euro industry. And uh, we've been eating more and more meat over the past 50 years. Um, could you explain to the listeners why you want to disrupt this market? Uh, so like, like you said, meat ha is the large-scale meat production is, has some fundamental issues. The resources that are required to make meat are so immense and so damaging to the environment that we cannot sustain this for much longer. Uh, we need 15,000 liters of water to produce one kilogram of beef. Uh, we use 33% of all arable land to grow the crops that eventually these animals eat. And also the methane that these animals produce uh, contributes to almost 15% of global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And increasing population also, and also increased wealth, uh, equals increased meat consumption. And it, there's no way we can sustain this at a large scale or a larger scale. So that's why we have to do everything. So it's not only cultured meat, but we think that this can be make the biggest contribution to that. But also eating less meat, also eating plant-based alternatives, uh, just to uh, make sure that we don't destroy ourselves just by eating meat. And cultured meat, I think, has uh, a large potential in that because it actually is the same thing. And it can reduce all these resources necessary to create meat many folds over. And you don't have to um, change people's mind about meat. So you don't have to tell them, no, you cannot eat meat because it's bad for the environment. You're replacing it with something that is as good as, as the real thing because it is the real thing. So people don't have a reason anymore to say, well, I don't, I don't, the plant-based alternatives are not nice or I don't like them so much. Because if eventually, if I can present you with a hamburger, two hamburgers, and I will tell you, well, tell me which one is cultured and which one is not, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, I think it will be very easy for people to adopt this new technology very fast. And you mentioned hamburgers. 
is beef the first market within the meat industry that you're going after? Yeah, so we are doing first beef because we have a, uh, a beef expert in our team, but we are also rapidly looking into pork, chicken, uh, other mammals, especially, uh, especially, and then afterwards maybe moving to fish, but that's, that's much harder. And we don't know if we still want to do that. There's other companies already working on that. But beef for us is also a reason because it's the biggest contributor to the uh, resource depletion, also the methane production. But of course, uh, chickens are being more eaten and pigs are in between there. So we're definitely looking to diversify. But for now, we are focusing on beef and afterwards moving into other animals. Cool. And uh, let's talk about the science that you're using to develop cultured meat. Um, you said before that you closely cooperate with the University of Cambridge, with Mark Cotter, and uh, also um, have developed a, a specific technology to mimic or to actually make meat, to grow lab-based meat. Um, could you dive a, a little bit deeper into the process? Yes, yes, I love to. So what we're, what we're doing is we are getting cells from the animal and we're doing this in a completely non-invasive way. We're taking blood that retains in the umbilical cord after a calf is born. So there's a pregnant cow and the calf gets out of the cow and then the umbilical cord it breaks. And then from the leftover blood, we take, uh, we take it for into a bag and we isolate uh, pluripotent cells from there. And pluripotent cells have a large proliferation capacity, and proliferation means they can grow a lot. And also they're very plastic, and that means that they can turn into multiple cell types, so either fat, uh, liver maybe even, but also muscle. And of course, we are most interested in the fat and the muscle cells. And do you know that beforehand, how the pluripotent cells will develop? Yes, and that's where the technology from Cambridge comes in. So the current uh, status quo is that these cells can grow a lar large amount and they can be turned into anything. But the current protocol to turn them into a thing is very lengthy, very costly, and very inefficient. So if you go from the pluripotent state to the final adult stem cell, uh, you end up with 15% of your total cell population turning into the cell type and it takes about 60 days. Is, it, is that where these uh, expensive burgers came from? I, I, I read about something sold for, I don't know, 50,000 euros or dollars. No, so the, the first one was 250,000 euros and those were made differently. So they used uh, muscle satellite cells, which are muscle stem cells. So what you do if you're starting this process, you're making, you must make a choice from which cells am I going to make cultured meat? Am I going to do that with the pluripotent cells, which has a large proliferation capacity, but very hard to control? Or are you doing this with adult muscle stem cells, uh, which can prol proliferate limited, uh, limited but uh, can be turned into muscle very easily? So you have to make a trade-off. Uh, but we bridge that gap. So we use the pluripotent cells, and with the technology developed in Cambridge, we can turn the pluripotent cells into adult cells within five days and 100% efficiency which is un unheard of. This is really uh, a paradigm shift in the entire field. And also in the medical field, it has large implementation. So um, we're very excited to be using this and having the best of both worlds. So using the pluripotent cells and being able to differentiate them into our, the cells that we need. Completely animal-free and within a an, uh, reduced time for many times over. And, and, and um, how fast will cell grow into real meat? What's the production process, so to say? Uh, so if you do the calculations, and especially with uh, thinking about exponential growth of the cells, so two becomes four, four becomes eight, and so on, so they multiply exponentially. Um, we think the entire process can be done from uh, like of, of a batch of cells from in within three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, compare that to what it takes grow to grow an animal. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think, three years. Yeah. And it's also really nicely tunes in into supply and demand, because yeah. now if there's nice weather, 
uh, during the summer. You have to think three years ahead, like saying, okay, well, I have to have enough hamburgers by that time to feed the people that want to barbecue. And that's quite tough, right? Three years looking uh, ahead is quite difficult. But if you're thinking about doing this in three weeks, you can make a forecast for three weeks, right? So what you're doing is then increasing production so you have enough meat for the people at that time to eat. So you don't have overproduction. You don't have what uh, the Americans call glut. So it is the overproduction of meat that stays in, the s in the stores that eventually spoils and then needs to be discarded of. Uh, now you can really fine tune the amount of uh, food that people require. And even doing this locally, right? You can, you can do this technology inside of a building in a city. You don't need to have meadows or anything uh, uh, around the city where you transport your food from outside inside the city. You can basically produce this inside your city so that you're, so yeah, you basically you can call this local, uh, locally farmed meat uh, without any transportation and also really tailored to the supply and demand of that area. And, and your laboratory, is that based in the city as well? It's close to Leiden. We're yeah. in the bioscience park because um, at the moment the technology resides inside of laboratories. Yeah. Uh, but eventually you should imagine this just as another food producing company, right? Uh, like the Campinas, you don't, have, you don't call it lab-made uh, yogurt. You just call it yogurt uh, because it's made in a factory without any labs. And that's, so the technology now resides in labs. So that's why we're using the facilities over there that um, facilitate us with the permits and also the laboratory uh, requirements that we are using. But afterwards, we're thinking very quickly to moving to just into a uh, production facility. Great. How, how many or how much meat can you produce by just one cohort of stem cells from, uh, from a cow? Ah, it, that's, that's also uh, the slogan that we made for our company is one cell can change everything. And we really mean that because the using the pluripotent cells instead of the satellite cells, the muscle satellite cells, the pluripotent cells can grow indefinite. They have unlimited proliferation capacity. So you can really feed the world with a single cell just by multiplying it over and over again. And of course, you need to check the cell if it still performs well, if it doesn't uh, show any uh, drawbacks, if it just, it just performs if you want to. Uh, but what you do is you hold a master batch and then from, uh, you take a sample from that and those that you expand and control. And then eventually when you, the, uh, the sample that you took is starting to deteriorate or starting to perform less, then you go back and just take a very small sample again from your original batch to grow that again. So you can keep a constant production level and also keep continuing growing the same cells over again. So you can really control the process and really have a consistent uh, outcome of your production process. And, and, and what are we seeing? When do we see this uh, in a broad environment? So we have seen now the examples of the 200,000 euro burger, which is applicable for some people in the world but not for no, no, not for most people though how long will it take uh, uh, this industry or especially like meetable to um, to establish a process that can build a hamburger where the meat or like the uh, um, the artificial created meat costs only like one euro or two euro which leads them to a situation where you can really sell it to the masses so there, there are multiple tiers to that question because uh, Large-scale production can be cut up in two and three different stages. One is the demo stage, so that we're doing right now, small-scale, just proof of concept showing that the process works, and small, vol very small volumes, maybe just for a tasting or maybe for an event where you, which you invite uh, people to taste it. 
Next phase is a, a pilot plant where you're doing a bit more quantity and uh, also optimizing the process for the larger scale uh, part which comes afterwards. But then already having maybe restaurants, selected restaurants uh, that you can supply regularly. And then of course from those lessons that you learn from there uh, and of course the installed capacity because it takes time to build a building, it takes time to install these things. But afterwards then you can go to really large scales and then you're going to large volumes that you ho hopefully we can supply to McDonald's and all the other stores and every supermarket that you can imagine and the larger you go of course the price will drop uh, with that so in the beginning of course we, we think we can um, yeah it's hard to say numbers but we hopefully will end up between 20 and 30 euros for a hamburger at the demo at the demo scale and when will that be ready within three years within three years yes within okay. we hope within three years yeah um, and from there, of course, we, we won't be selling it at a large profit because at the time, you, of course, you can only do limited amounts. You want to get people accustomed to it, want to get people involved and get used to the idea of eating this product. And eventually, also with skill, the price drops and then you can, of course, get more people involved for a lower price. So that, that's basically the tactic to do that. And uh, you, you've raised a lot of capital, um, first round, three and a half million dollars um, from, I think, also uh, well-known VCs. Um, where do you spend the money and is it mostly spent on the laboratory itself on the production process yes it's, it's mostly r d at the moment okay. so really people and equipment and getting the process but also already looking ahead for regulatory parts and also for a bit for marketing so it's not only r d but most of it is r d because that's most important right you really want to have the first proof of concept ready so you, that you can sh uh, show people this is how it's going to look like at a larger scale this is how it tastes like and also already play with that to see if you can optimize on that part and and i think you announced the raising of capital as well in a, in a press release i think that got coverage in in forbes in business insider in uh, many well-known uh, news publications um, what was the general um, response that you received from the market and maybe even from potential consumers to uh, clean meat or cultured meat it, it is overwhelmingly positive I haven't had a single person that says, well, this is a terrible idea, we shouldn't be doing this. And I think that is also a sentiment that is increasing a lot. So maybe there, are, of course, there are people that um, are not very fond of the idea, but it's such a small amount of people that think like that, that you have a choice, right? If you're, you don't have to eat it. And the positive response that we get, I think a lot of people are waiting basically on this product to happen. I think by the time that we launch, you'll have lines bigger than the iPhone X launch. <laughs> and, and the, but there will probably be some hesitance as well from the, from the public as well, because they are, they are used to uh, seeing a cow in the field and uh, understanding that you have slaughterhouses where that cow is being turned into uh, a beefsteak or a hamburger. Um, that that, that um, image sticks to uh, many per people's minds. Um, and you're changing that image. You, you already said, well, we're uh, in the future won't be a lab, but a factory. But still, that's another image than that idyllic sight of a cow in a nice uh, uh, outside environment uh, being grass fed. Uh, I think not many people have that idea anymore. Okay. I think more people are starting to realize the That's state. how it's being marketed though. Right, but I think more and more people are starting to realize that this is not the case anymore. Okay. That of course, uh, I truly believe in the Netherlands and in Europe, we have pretty high standards when it comes to animals, but in a large part of the world, they don't, ha they don't uh, adhere to that standards. So those are the mega farms. And that's what basically what actually we want to see if we can mitigate that. We don't want to, um, replace or compete with the small farmers or organic farms because 
those are fine, right? They treat their animals well, and then uh, they, we don't want to compete with them, but we want to make sure that the big bulks of meat, like the kilo knallers, yeah. so the, the big amounts of meat that you can buy in a store for a fairly cheap price. That are being produced in factory farms. Right, those, those we think we can compete with and will be better for the environment a lot more than uh, competing with the smaller farms. So really, we don't, we, we, I eat meat, um, I think organic farming is a great uh, solution to this for still wanting to eat meat but not want to have the big impact. But unfortunately the cheap amount of bulk meat that is cheap is still being produced and still being bought. And if you can replace that with more sustainable alternative, I think that's already a, a giant leap in the I right direction. I'd like to understand a little bit more the status of the, um, the development. So um, um, I, I ju just uh, a week ago I heard like a, a documentary um, or a podcast about the um, Haber Bosch process, uh, uh, w which was like invented in the, in the early t um, 20th century to produce like fertilizer. It was like a situation where there wasn't enough fertilizer in the world to feed uh, 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 to feed the people. Though um, there was like a, a, a big race in the uh, um, in the um, in the scientific industry to create a process to create ammonia out of the air. It was like uh, then invented by Haber Bosch, uh, which was like a clear demand from an from an uh, uh, from the market there's not enough fertilizer please produce fertilizer out of the air here's like the same situation more or less and Haberbosch it took them like I think the the race for uh, for the solution took them I don't know four five six years so is it comparable to this kind of uh, a scientific race in the early 20th century so are, are you already very close to the solution or is the solution already there and now you're only uh, trying to find out what kind of industrial scale uh, um, could be built upon the existing theoretical solution so wh where is it really so is it is it clear that there will be something like three four five years or is there still some scientific hard to solve questions in the air uh, nobody's talking about well, I think it's all of that. So there is uh, there is something to say about every level of that. So uh, we can already build on the previous knowledge that has been discovered in cell biology. So people have been doing cell biology for a long time, and we'll, we also we are also leaning on that. So the idea of using stem cells and how stem cells react and how stem cells behave on large scale, and also the pharmaceutical industry with large bioreactors, they already has established systems for that. So there's already hardware and knowledge on each side, but eventually the thing where um, we still have to do some development, and I don't think this is a big scientific question, more of an engineering thing, is making real tissue, m real solid tissue. And we, we also think we have um, a solution for that. We are collaborating with people that really want to, to roll this out. So I don't think it's more of a question uh, if, but only a question when. And of course, there are some challenges ahead, and there will be, um, there will be failures, but I don't think the, uh, that would, will ruin the entire idea if there are some drawbacks. Of course there is. In every developmental process there are drawbacks, but we have such a solid plan of making this happen, build on rigorous scientific knowledge and the previous known things about these cells that I've no question that in my mind that this is not going to happen. And how many teams are working on a solution right now worldwide? It's, it's not as many as you might think. Uh, depends on how you structurize it. People that are funded, I think it's a handful. And then also in different areas, so some people are specializing, so doing only fat, so doing only beef, doing only seafood, and I specialize also in the seafood, or even supporting companies, also doing medium development, so the food for the, for the cells. So it's, it's segmented, and um, I think it's about a handful, two, maybe 10 companies total working on this. Together, uh, working on, this. on a global level? 
Yeah, so it, it really depends on how you um, how you determine a company or working on this, because there's people that really want to do this, but they're still in the fundraising process and still figuring out the right model for their company. And those are much more, I think, than you're talking about 35 companies are still looking into what type of niche of this field they can participate or still busy with their fundraising uh, process. But I think people that are really currently day-to-day -day working on this, I think it's about uh, five to 10 people. And, how groups. And, and from what you can see today from a scientific perspective, so how close can you get in? And, and, and I think uh, the meat industry, especially uh, uh, um, uh, beef meat or cattle meat, is a very special, a special one, is um, very, um, very subjectively driven. So one person would say, this is like the best steak you can eat. Another one, no, that is not. Uh, here's like a much more, much better filet or, or whatever. So how Will there be like a solution to design like kind of a steak or a T-bone steak uh, oh, or something similar? Yeah, definitely. And this is also so beautiful about this technology is that you can assert a level of control which you can't over a real animal. You can feed an animal stuff and you can make it happy enough. So like the Wagyu beef, you can massage it and give it beer. But eventually you cannot control how the animal develops or what the nutrient contents in the meat is, but we can. We can basically adjust the feed medium which we give to the cells with specific nutrients which will um, increase unsaturated fats. Or for the Netherlands with now that the European Union is turning back the uh, summertime, wintertime thing, we can use some extra vitamin D because we will like sunlight. You can really optimize this and also for the tissue creation itself, if you can uh, stimulate it to move in a specific direction, you can really uh, make the texture of the meat behave in a way that you want and uh, experiment with it. So it becomes really like an engineering issue on how you structurizing your meat and what nutrient contents will this will, con will it contain. Um, there's, there's so much more you can do because of you're using cells instead of the entire animal that is just, uh, we're getting into terrain that has not been explored before and which has a massive amount of potential. And do you then, like, like with the butter market, foresee that you have like five different types of butter, one with vitamin D, another one with uh, a little added uh, sea salt, so that everybody can pick the flavor that is most accustomed to their taste. I, I truly believe that yeah. will happen. And also maybe... Personalized meat. Personalized meat. And also maybe for athletes, which has yeah. increased protein content. Maybe for elderly that has uh, can eat a, a substance, maybe one of the products, maybe less salt. Uh, you can really optimize it for every uh, level of society, which are the, the requirements. Uh, a good example for this is the iodide that we use in salt. They put this inside of salt because everybody eats it and it prevents a disease called... Uh, called crop, which is a swelling of your thymus. So there are already people already thinking about it. How can I add nutrients in people's diets to make the population overall uh, healthier? And th I think we can make, do a, a make a, a massive contribution to that. And and um, you said okay, the market will be uh, the product will be uh, after the pilot phase uh, uh, marketable to a small set of, of, of test users for 20 euros uh, for maybe 100 gram of of, of, of hamburger. Uh, when do you s uh, see Meatable going mass market? Well, so what we've been planning right now is in three years to the demo, then another two to three years for the pilot, and then afterwards, after that, then going to large scale. Okay. So uh, six to eight years uh, will be our timeline to go and do some, uh, having a factory. That and, and, the, and the few competitors that are around, and I, 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 I'm, I, don't, I don't know if you recall it correctly, I've read something about like Memphis meat or something similar. So do, are they are using a, a, a similar process or a similar solution or is every team 
every startup in this industry having like a very very unique view on uh, solving this uh, issue? I, I actually don't know. I, I cannot look in the labs. What uh, I believe that we're having a unique perspective on this using the pluripotent cells with the differentiation technology. Um, I think that's unique in the field because this technology has just been developed and we have an exclusive patent uh, license on it. Um, so I don't think anybody else can or is doing that, but I don't know what the rest of the players but, but are you, doing. You know, you know why I'm the curious, not, not because uh, my, my father-in-law has a, has a cattle uh, which, uh, which uh, also manage and sell, uh, which is an interesting, uh, interesting business, but it's more like an organic model. It's like not in on, on an industrial scale, but the market is so big. The companies in this market are so big. The increasing demand just from China for uh, uh, for pig meat is, is so big. There, there. Um, why are not like hundreds of teams working on this solution, or even like the big uh, uh, meat uh, companies in the like Vion, for example, are working in this area? That, that makes me a little bit like. I, 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 I still trust in the solution uh, you're getting, I, and I hope in, at, at the end of the day it's, there's like water and grass and there must be a process to produce something more effectively than a cow could do. Uh, though, but but it's, it, it still seems hard to believe. So uh, um, will this point come in the moment when you have this like demo day or the, 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 the situation where you can produce something for like a burger for like $30 um, dollars per, I don't know what it's called in English, pellet or burger burger ingredient so it's it's it's, 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 it's still it seems very far away so in three years what you're saying and even then like an added three years to the uh, to the end of the pilot phase that is a very short uh, frame of time for such a big industry and I I'm sure we are talking about almost a trillion if you're like take into account all all the producers in the value chain, uh, uh, it's of course a trillion dollar market worldwide. It is, definitely is. And, but there already are um, current established players go moving into this field. Tyson has been investing in Memphis meats, like you said so, and there's a German poultry company that invested in Mosa meats. Uh, so they're already moving into this field because they already see the potential of it. And we are not under the illusion that within eight years we have a majority market share. This will take time because you need to build a factory, you need to build the installed capacity to scale this. Um, so we're starting anywhere that uh, allows us to go there for regulatory affairs also. And we really are taking this um, factory by factory and we're really trying to take it like that. And it will take time. And I don't think eight years is uh, the timeline that we have majority market share, like I said, but people are getting more and more used to the idea of uh, reducing the amount of animals in uh, the need for uh, having your food. And maybe a side question, though, why is, why is fish so much harder? Oh, because uh, we have been doing lots of research on uh, mammalian cells, so mouse, human, and other species, they've been uh, researching that in the lab, so we have a large amount of knowledge on how they behave mm -hmm. and how you control them and what, uh, what their needs are. And for fish, there hasn't been a big amount of funding to research that. So the model organism in the lab is zebrafish, but they don't really compare nicely to salmon or tuna, which are the fish, of course, that are eaten in bulk. And so that's the, that's the thing, right? Nobody has an idea of the needs of, a fi of fish shells. So there is more upfront knowledge that you have to invest in before you can reach the same level of um, knowledge and control that we have over mammalian cells.
Mm. And just one question, because we are uh, we are asked this kind of questions ev every guest. So, could you accelerate the process a lot with more money? So, 3.5 million is maybe a lot for like a, um, a seed, a round, whatever. But it's compared to the sheer size of the market in the industry, it's it's kind of nothing. Uh, um, that's probably just in the time of the podcast. There's uh, um, more meat got eaten in the Amsterdam uh, uh, region <laughs> than <laughs> 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 the 3.5 million. Uh, so uh, um, could you like? Uh, uh, let's say 10, 20 million. Would this lead to a situation where your demo day uh, is going to be uh, is going to be held in like one year from now and not like three years from now? Is that possible? Can you really accelerate like the scientific process? So there is a yes and a no to that. So no, and I've been saying this to all the other investors and also my co-founder from the start. Cells uh, don't eat money. If you are waving with a hundred dollar check, they won't work faster for you. They have a clock. They divide at a certain speed. So you cannot make them move faster. But on the other hand, you can do multiple things in parallel. So finding out multiple para parameters to uh, use the cells or uh, scaling different scaling methodologies uh, to pinpoint uh, faster decisions on the large scale production of the cells. But eventually, there is a limited amount of speed you can induce in this process because of the cells. They are a limiting factor in the amount of time you need to go to market. But that not to say, of course, if we get more money, we can do more stuff. We can do maybe more species. We can um, maybe do more people from different bioreactors, comparing those together, already do nutrient analysis, those types of things, uh, so that we have a more sound uh, data um, amount before we go to the series and, and how do you prove success to your investors so all the other businesses we're interviewing they do have kind of a product or service or software which they're um, uh, which which are offering to the market and then they sell it more or less successful and they're giving KPIs back to the investors say okay we our cost per order is like I don't know 100 euros and our earnings is 80 euros customer lifetime value is XYZ and please give us more money because in like two years from now with this like scaling curve we can earn you much more money so what is it, what is your pitch then because you 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 then you're you're telling me more or less so if I'm understand it correctly that there's no business model uh, within the next five six years it's 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 very research driven so it's uh, it's it costs money uh, in, in the next years and there's no earnings is that correct? Well, the first three years, of course, we're hopefully then having the demo and we are planning to sell that, but it will be very limited, of course. And I don't, uh, if you're looking at food, the timelines for getting revenues back is just much longer. For uh, making an application, yeah, you can put 10 uh, programmers in a room and the, the more, the faster an application is being made. So you All our guests saying software development is so, so ah, easy. Yes. That's, <laughs> not <true. laughs> that's not true. So, but it's, uh, <laughs> you, you can make software move faster and it has much, much less uh, KPEX. Uh, investment. So food is just a different mindset. You need to find investors that have a different long-term mindset that are really willing to go through the developmental process and really seeing that revenues uh, building up over time. You don't. You cannot have like a hockey stick that in six years you can have a million in revenues. It takes time, and you need people supporting you during that time that want to help you through that uh, through that phase. And I think we have found uh, a, a perfect set of investors that are willing to do that and really share our vision on that. So. You're not totally correct because we ha will have some revenues and this will be, of course, high-end markets, but it won't be a, uh, a profit in the end. So mm. reaching cost efficiency and profit, that, that will take some more time. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm just wondering. So usually investors are very, very um, 
driven-based KPIs, want to see like the monthly development, and you can say, okay, we have like successfully divided cells times 100, whatever, how, oh. how fast the cells are, gro yeah, are growing, yeah. so what kind of KPIs would oh. they see? So for us, it, it, it will be more, it's, that's the easy part, right? Because um, we can measure a lot of things. Science is about measuring. So we can measure, as well, like you said, the differentiation speed or the proliferation speed. We can measure the amount of nutrients are being conversed in the medium. So we can do analysis on that. So you can see how much you put in, how much you get out, and do the conversion rate on that. There's all just measurements for that. So you can really see making graphs, uh, seeing that drop over time, and, and doing experiments that you can actually have the influence that you can see that drop over time. So those are the uh, deliverables that we show. We show then the report saying, okay, well, our cells grow this way on this scale, and this is the conversion rate, and we're trying to get that uh, lowered by using this new technologies or this new development, and then gradually uh, reducing the cost to, like, hopefully even cheaper than needs in the future. And if, if we look at your organization, Meetable, right now, um, you are especially focusing on R&D, and uh, you need smart sci uh, scientific uh, scientists for, for that process. Um, do you see that, that it's, it's easy to find skilled people here in the Netherlands, in, in the Leiden area, to work on, on such a new innovation? Yeah, we, we are very lucky. Leiden is the fifth largest bioscience park in Europe. I don't know if it's still the fifth, but it's in that range. Yeah. So it, it's huge and there is a lot of talent there. Uh, but now also maybe it's nice for me to plug this in that if you are a, a cell molecular biologist with bioreactor experience, please contact us at uh, Meetable. My email address is dan at meetable.com. So please contact me and we uh, will be more than happy to see if we have a fit over here. Oh, okay, that's close to Den Haag. Okay. It yes. is very close to The Hague. It's very close. Close and to Amsterdam, to Close to Amsterdam, airport. so it's a perfect place, you can say. So you can really, the, the, the travels, uh, travel amounts everywhere is, is so small. You can live in Amsterdam. Uh, so my co-founder lives in Amsterdam and he works in Leiden. But in the surrounding area, it's very well connected. Uh, we have a very nice place. And definitely the science park is a, 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 fast, a fast amount of resources of skilled people that, uh, that can help us with uh, our journey. What you said about the, the development phases that you're going through, that, that I mean, I'm not an expert on the pharmaceutical industry, but I can imagine that medicines are being created in a similar way. Are there some characteristics from uh, medicine production that are similar to uh, cultured meat production? The only thing I can think of is the scale. So using cells as a product at scale. The, of course, uh, the end product for us is vastly different, right? So usually the pharmaceuticals course, yeah. have a protein or a molecule that they yeah. use as a medicine, but we want to use the entire cell as a product. And then also then in a, in a organized structure, like as meat structure. And that's where the analogies, they stop uh, because um, pharmaceuticals don't care about that at all. So only the technology from the bioreactors yeah. and also some skills. And the time to market maybe as well. Um, yeah, that, that, I don't know about that. I don't know how fast pipelines are for pharmaceutical industries and if that's comparable. Okay. And also the difference is, of course, we are using medical technology to make a, a commodity product. Yeah. So the prices differences is, is different. Also, then the incentives to do certain, make certain choices are yeah. very different. So there are some overlap, but very few. But also the skills that people have, they can overlap a okay. lot. So use it, working with cells is, is translatable to any other field. If you, can if you can work with muscle cells, you can work with other cells, it's just yeah. a hard skill that you get and that we can use as well um, in our company. So you're a very positive guy and you see a lot of opportunity for cultured meat and, and I really admire the goal that you're striving for. Um, are there also some challenges along the way to uh, 
grown to mass market? And yes. What are they? Of course. <laughs> and I think the biggest one is consumer um, adoption. Yeah. I do think that, that we have, we're riding a wave now that everybody's feeling uh, more positive about this and seeing that the positive impact that it can make. But of course, also technical challenges. There are, you know, growing this at scale. We, are, we want to grow this at a, such a scale that has never been shown before, even the pharmaceutical industry. Because we want to uh, supply a market which is massive, right? Is the amount of meat, like we said before in our conversation now, is already exceeding so many fold over in kilograms that you really need to do this at such a scale that is unprecedented in uh, the current development. And that's where we go beyond that. And there, of course, is a challenge that I cannot assess right now or foresee on what things will happen and how it will look like in the end. And, and um, in, in terms of uh, the consumption shift, now there are a lot of documentaries about the, the, the same issues that you described in the beginning. Uh, uh, meat is causing climate change, is causing um, uh, animal uh, harm, uh, maybe also some uh, health issues related to that. Of course, you're taking that away. That will take another uh, eight to ten years to be able to take that away. Right now, you see a very large increase in, in plant-based foods and also uh, plant-based beef. Um, what do you foresee? Are you foreseeing to convince meat eaters to change to cultured meat? Or are you thinking that there will be a shift also from people like me? Well, <laughs> I, I hope so. Well, that's a question I can, ask, I, can ask, uh, I can ask yourself. So if I would have the burger and it would be indistinguishable, would you eat it? Uh, yes, I, I would definitely try it. Um, and, but I'm not sure if I'm uh, a good representative for plant-based eaters or, or vegans. So I'm curious to see what their reaction will be. Actually, if you ask me that question, I would say yes, because the reason why I eat plant-based is, is uh, uh, due to the, the issues that you also described and the reasons why you started Meetable. So I, I, I completely align with your goals and uh, the good fight that you're fighting. So I think I, I will be convinced to, to switch. Well, I think that's, <laughs> that's great to hear. That's already another customer. So what we see in the population that... Yeah, we're targeting meat eaters because they are the ones that are eating meat, right? We're not targeting the plant-based eaters because they're not eating meat. But we do see the reason, the reason really matters on why people are not eating meat. Like yourself, you said, well, I, I see the negative effects and I see the animal harm. That's a reason for me to not eat meat, but you still enjoy it. Uh, so if you would have an alternative that is not as damaging, yeah, then why not? then why wouldn't I be able to eat it? And of course, there are some, but few people from the media said, no, I wouldn't eat it. And for the rest, it's a mosaic of people having different uh, sentiments about why not or why they do eat meat. So I think the majority is a yes, but of course, from both sides, we'll be switching over saying, okay, so I don't, I don't want to eat cultured meat, so I'll start eating plant maybe, and plant eaters that are starting to eat meat again. And how will your distribution look like? Are you going to uh, have a direct-to-market approach? Are you cooperating with, uh, I don't know, uh, the Albert Heinz of this world to, to white-label meatable in their products that they're selling? Uh, how will it look like, the, the, the supply chain to the mouth of the consumer? So in the beginning, for really the demo part, I do think that you need to de-risk the market by yeah. showing that people actually want this and that people are waiting on this. So we really are thinking of having a flagship store somewhere that people can ex come in and experience and we can educate them on and say, oh, this is how it's done. See, there's nothing scary about it. It's perfectly fine. Uh, it's actually better. And you can really take them on the idea of why we're doing this. And eventually, we, I, I don't think we're going to do the entire distribution channel. There are so many companies that already have that uh, in place. So by the time that we can really put out bulk, I think partnering yeah with a established uh, distributor is very likely. Okay, and that could be because uh, in plant-based meat we have the vegetable butcher in the Netherlands. 
quite well-known brand. They actually sourced their uh, plant-based protein from a company called Oja. And Oja was uh, uh, like a startup lab in the University of Wageningen in the Netherlands. And do you see yourself as a, um, um, yeah, a company that is similar to what Oja did? Selling uh, plant-based protein to companies that will make it into a burger and then uh, build a brand around it? Or do you want to brand Meatable as well? And then uh, Albert Heijn is selling it uh, as a plant-based Meatable burger. I, I think all of it. I think you can use the meat in, as an ingredient, but also just as a product on itself. And having just next to the other uh, burgers, having the same thing there, saying, oh, this is, this is the cultured variant of the real meat, but also having it on a pizza, for example. So I think all of the options are, are available still to us. And if you have to choose, what, what, what's your gut feeling right now? Um, what will be the, the, ooh, the fastest route to success? <laughs> that, that's, that's difficult to say. I, I can see both situations very clearly. It really depends on also on, on, on as, a, the, as an ingredient who wants to partner with us. Yeah. And I think having your own brand is easier than to sell. So there is, I think both of them are just as viable. And I, I personally like the idea of having a real piece of meat selling that because I just, uh, yeah, I think that's the, the best way to market and also the purest way to show the uh, benefits of it. Um, but the other, uh, for somebody, if, if Unilever or Unus comes by and says, hey, we want to use your, your, your product, we'll be, of course, we won't be saying no. I think it's, it's a great, uh, would be great development and uh, yeah, just as feasible. Alexander, would you switch yeah, cultured yeah. meat if it's uh, available? Of course, of course, and, and, and I'm 100% convinced that uh, that's going to work out for uh, for for all sides. Um, I think the moment when it's going to be cheaper, when it's there, presented in the supermarket compared to like um, normal uh, created meat, but looks the same, more or less, people will buy it. So that's uh, that, that's how it works. And in the meat industry, that's very interesting. That even to me, that's why I'm active there. There's no brands. So if you're going to a supermarket and selecting meat, so there's no no, there's no Pringles. Uh, there's no. There's no. The people only can uh, uh, know the difference in beef. So it's rumpsteak and filet, and sometimes, sometimes something like Wagyu or bio uh, meat. But there's no real brand. So people really are not so good educated uh, when it comes to meat con meat consumption, which which is as which, which is actually an, uh, an advantage for this industry. Though the moment when you're able to scale, and that would be my question, is uh, so can you see in your development? Um, Today, one kilogram uh, artificially produced meat is like a million dollars, and maybe half a year from now, it's like five hundred thousand. Uh, five hundred thousand dollars. Is there some? F can can you plot a curve, something like this, so you can see in uh, the moment and in, in, in the future where it's going to be cheaper compared to standard meat? Yeah. So if you if you look at there are multiple models for this. So one, of course, is the computer model. So Moore's law, where you can see over time the cost of the chips producing. But I think a better model for this is looking at how uh, DNA sequencing, which is a, a scientific technology where you can look into the DNA of people or any other species to analyze. And if you can see that curve, how much it costs to sequence, uh, so to analyze the entire human genome, that has been dropping so fast over the past decade that for the entire human genome it's a thousand bucks while in 2003 i think when the human genome project was launched it cost over a billion 
So a billion. That, a billion, and over multiple countries wide. And now you can do it within three weeks for a thousand bucks. And I, that's how scientific progress works. You're building on knowledge that your, pre uh, your predecessors has made. And so you're standing on the shoulders of giants. We are standing on the shoulders of giants. People have given their lives to, to learn about this and have published about this. And we are now at the tip of that, using that to have an application for it. And I think you can really see that really the, the price dropping is similar to that type of inventions and innovations. That eventually within the three years and then afterwards seeing that drop so fast and with the scale and the new technologies coming out faster and faster every year uh, that before the, be, uh, be within a decade I think you could have uh, meat as cheap or cheaper than uh, now regular meat. Okay, let's assume you're going to be here in the Wimlek show again like in, in a year from now. So, how much more can, what would you expect then, what you could tell us uh, oh, that, compared that, to the status today? Yeah, that's going to be amazing because then I will show you videos of real time how you can see stem cells differentiate into the right cells, into fat cells and muscle cells and see them contract on the plate. Still very small, but still showing that the principle of what we're doing and the way of thinking that we can go from the stem cell state to an adult cell state within a very fast amount of time. And also nutrient analysis on that. I can show you the reports and the videos of cells really moving from one state to another one. And then the only thing that you have to do is create a pipeline of making this bigger and making this more cost efficient. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm it's, it's for me still a super interesting topic because it's, uh, uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, most of uh, most of our um, for most people's lives, the routine uh, eating meat uh, and, and same for me. So mm, breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner. It's all uh, usually it, it includes meat. Um, I don't want to discuss like the moral uh, effects here and the and the environmental effects. Um, I'm still I need I need to figure it out a little bit may maybe later after the podcast. I'm still um, I'm still very confused why this is still such a small market compared to the sheer market size so why there's not hundreds of meatables everywhere there's like hundreds of matrix online brands <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> everywhere in a much smaller market uh, but not one not hundreds of uh, uh, companies that uh, want to create meat maybe it, it depends a little bit on the uh, on the stuff you need to uh, uh, control and need to know as a scientific uh, uh, um, as people active in this industry um, but uh, um, it, it's pretty cool having you here and uh, um, um, and I, I have to even after this podcast so usually I'm I, I, at least from my, in, in my case, I know and understand the industry from uh, uh, from the people that are guests here, and, and I'm active in your industry. But I, I but I, I have the feeling that it's only the beginning uh, here of, uh, of, of our interaction, and I'm, I'm I will be happy to host you again as a guest here. I in would, I would love that. That's oh. very much. Thank you Thanks so much. Nice to follow your progress. Yeah. Thank yes. you so much, Dan, and thank yeah. you so much for listening to this yeah. podcast. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. Our, ne our next guest will tell us a little bit more about like the profane marketing side. So he he helped Zalando to grow. Uh, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in revenue in Germany and in some international markets. So it's more about we're going back to our home turf uh, um, again, though it was a very physical product, so, uh, um, a product we can touch and taste in the future, um, hopefully. Um, but the next guest will, uh, will be a little bit more in our home turf uh, again. But thanks again. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much Dan.